Welcome to Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store Soho in New York. Please welcome this evening's moderator from IndieWire, Eric Cohn. Hey, everybody. Good to see a nice crowd here tonight. Um, just out of curiosity, how many of you have seen the Lego movie, the animated movie? Show of hands. Fair amount. So the documentary we're going to talk about tonight is not the Lego movie, but it is a different way of looking at Legos. And in a broader sense, it's always cool to come across a movie that deals with something like this that you think you understand one way and you never really thought about the bigger picture and that's really what this documentary does. It takes the industry of Legos, the community of people who are interested in Legos and it puts it in a much broader context. So there's a lot to dig into there beyond kind of what we all associate with Legos or with the Lego movie. So we're going to do all of that but first let's take a look at the trailer. Can you hear me out there? I know, I know. You recognize me, right? But this story is not about me. Well, not entirely. This story is about a simple toy and how its unique properties ushered in a new era of creativity. For a whole generation. Lego, Lego, Lego. Lego. So she's half cow, half robot. Yeah. Yes. It's a cowboy. Oh, that's a good idea. Action. Hey guys, what started as a Danish endeavor in 1916 became a global phenomenon. But it really captured the imagination of people of all ages. Are we ready? It's become a monster brand of the toy business. I spend over six figures annually just on Lego. It's a creative tool. It's a way that people are expressing themselves. It's creating energy. It's a language. There is an adult fan community. Geeks, weirdos, people like me. It's not what's on the front of the box. You can actually create whatever you want out of this toy. We saw a great potential of combining Lego and computers. I wanted to create a Lego architecture. Shot-for-shot shot remakes of famous films. I believe there's nothing I can't build out of it. It allows everyone, non-expert and expert alike, to come together on a simple platform. It's created an excitement in the world. At the core of what is human is the capacity to build. All around the world, people are pushing the limits of LEGO. Being able to take your dreams and materialize into something is just a, a wonderful gift. We're always looking for something to inspire us or just give us some joy. It's believing that anything is possible if you have the right tools in front of you. And look how many things we built from this simple toy. Okay, so please join me in welcoming Daniel Youngie and Keith Davidson, the directors of Lego A Brickumentary. Hey, fellas. So I guess the first question, just to get this off of the bat, out of the way, just up front, is um, how much Lego playing did you do when you were kids? I did a lot of Lego playing as a kid. Um, my brother manipulated the play and got all the best bricks. But uh, like a, probably a lot of people in this room, I spent a lot of time on our living room carpet with a box of Lego dumped out. Um, this is the 70s, so classic space was a big deal for me. Um, but yeah, Lego is a big part of my childhood. Keep you as well. I feel like I spend more time digging Legos out of my five-inch shag carpeting in my room than actually playing with them. Um, 
Yeah, Legos for me actually has been more of a recent thing now that I have a child. He's seven years old. He's not really a child child, but we've been playing together and it's uh, been a reawakening, I guess, of the, of the Lego brick. So what was the starting point for you guys sort of looking at the bigger picture here? Because as you can tell from the trailer alone, I mean, the, there are so many different ways that you tackle the, the culture of Legos, not just the nostalgia people have, but, you know, from that point, all these other ways in which Legos seem to inform different kinds of activities that people apply them for. So, first of all, how, how did you get to the point where you wanted to explore all these different stories? And what was it like to approach the company yeah. to get them involved? Well, first of all, in the big picture, uh, Keith and I are both known probably for more serious films. You know, we've made films in, in Afghanistan and Africa and places like that. So I think the, in the biggest possible sense, we wanted to do something fun, a little lighter, <laughs> and have a little bit of break from that. Um, and uh, it's not that we sought this film out. Actually, the film sort of found me. Um, the, it was uh, the exact producer of the film, Jim Packer, said, let's do a film on Brickworld, which is this great convention in Chicago. And I looked at that and said, that's kind of interesting, but look at this whole community. You could do a film on the community. And at that point, we thought, why don't we approach the company, see if Lego would be interested in being part of this, and it can be a view inside and outside the company. Uh, thankfully, they said yes. And... Um, I started shooting and got overwhelmed right away and needed a partner and uh, Keith, Keith and I have talked about collaborating for a long time and thankfully we were able to collaborate on this film and, and that's, that's how it happened. Um, you, maybe you can tell them a little bit about our relationship with Lego. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I got the call from uh, Daniel and the producer say, hey, do you want to join us on making the Lego film? And I had just come off of a film about kids needing open heart surgery in Sudan and I'm like, Sign me up quick, like I'm all for it, uh, which which was awesome. You know, it's it's such a different type of film, and it's it's a fun family film, and the type of film that really like applies to to all ages. But you know, in working with Lego, I, I think it's a very interesting way this thing was put together, where you know we weren't hired by Lego to make this film. Uh, it's still an independent film. We had creative control of the content. We had final cut. Um, but they are still our, our, our marketing partner. So it could have been a very, very different film if it was something that was commissioned by Lego. Well, we should suss that out a little bit because, I mean, you're dealing with this huge corporation and they have their brand that they're worried about, but you want to dig a little bit deeper. And there are aspects of the movie where you deal with some of the less flattering moments in the yeah, I don't, history. I don't think that that's much different than how we usually make documentaries. It's always a mutual seduction with your, your subject and yourself. You want to draw the most out of them. You want to see them at their best, but you want to see them at their worst, too. And at the same time, they want to seduce you as a filmmaker to show you at your, at your best. So I think that tap dance that you have with an individual subject, probably the same one that Bobcat had uh, in the, the, this last film, we have with Lego as well. And it's, it's just a, it's a constant negotiation. And at the end of the day, I mean, we're, we, have, we come from investigative journalism background. If there was, if there was a dark, sordid film to be made about Lego, we probably would have made it. But this is, this, I, we both felt that if ever there was a phenomena or product in the world which needed unabashed love and appreciation, it was this one. So how did that perception of, of what Lego means to people start to evolve for you guys? I mean, what surprised you as you started to do more research and talk to different people who 
have different kinds of relationships with Lego. Sure. Well, look, we started with the sort of basic ideas, is Lego more than a toy? And it really is. And when you look at the film, you see Lego being used in science and engineering and therapy for autism. There are so many unexpected uh, ways that the brick is being integrated into society. So we came from that sort of starting point. Um, but obviously, when you're dealing with uh, a brand as big as Lego and so many characters and so many stories, it's very difficult ultimately to, to narrow it down. Um, but as things go, it ultimately does narrow down. Um, certain stories we heard, we, you know, we just kept hearing over and over, hey, have you talked with Alice Finch? Or have you talked with Nathan Sawaya? But then there's the less obvious stories, like this boy with autism, you know, that ultimately uh, revealed itself to us. Um, what struck me the most really was the, uh, I had no idea how massive the adult fan of Lego community was. And that became a big part of the film, you know, conventions, we went to several of them, and I mean, thousands of, of what they call AFOLs, adult fans of Lego, that every year they just look forward to coming to this one event and showing and giving everything they have. When you also deal with the historical foundation of, of Lego, which I think is much deeper than most people realize, which I believe is in our first clip. So why don't we roll that just to kind of contextualize some of the stuff we're talking about, and then we'll, we'll talk some more. Back in 1916, a Danish man by the name of Ola Kier Christiansen lived in the quaint little town of Billund, Denmark. A carpenter by trade, he started a small wood shop, which burned to the ground. Not a great start. But Ola would not be dissuaded, so he built another one. In the new factory, he was inspired to build toys. By the 1930s, Ola was known for his pull toys made from birchwood. Trucks, trains, and of course, ducks. It was around this time that Ola came up with the name Lego. It comes from the Danish phrase Lega, meaning play well. Then the factory burned down again. But with Ola's perseverance, it was rebuilt again. This time, mostly for making wooden toys, until a fateful day in 1947 when Ola was visiting a toy fair, he came across a new contraption, a plastic molding machine. Ola brought the first one back to Denmark, though not everyone was impressed. So, um, that's not exactly the, what, what it looked like, I imagine, but uh, tell us a little bit about uh, figuring out the, the historical background here and, and sort of how that helped shape the direction for the company. Well, I, I, first of all, I felt like, uh, we, we felt like the film needed context. And that if, if we look at this film as like a series of concentric circles, get ever expanding where it gets even more and more incredible, the uses of this toy, we have to start at the center, which is that it is a toy and it's made by a company and that, that toy has origins. So we knew that we had to have that context in the film, but we've talked about it in like, how do you do that in an interesting way without Oh boy, here comes the history. So um, that's where we struck upon the idea of animating it, and of course, the fact that we're, the film is ripe with, uh, rife with uh, AFOLs, we went to AFOLs to do all of the animation, and pr the primary animation here was done by a guy named Tommy Williamson, who's a dedicated, very fixture in the, AF in the AFOL community, and he did all of this with pure stop motion, which is slightly different than the Lego movie, which of course was CG. How long did that take? It was very short. Yeah. <laughs> Not long enough for Tommy's sake. Well, I think we told Tommy at one point we have about six weeks to do all the animation in the film. And uh, what started out with just him and one other person turned into, I think, a crew of eight. 
and they had this elaborate, elaborate set built, and I mean, they were just working round the clock. I mean, there's a good amount of animation. I mean, the film isn't, uh, it's not an animated film, but I mean, how many minutes do you think we have of animation? This I, think, is I think we have like eight or nine about minutes. About eight or nine minutes, you know, which is a good amount to get done in six weeks. But uh, one other thing that we did, which I thought was really uh, just sort of perfect for this film, was we put a, a word out to the LEGO community for our animated title sequence. So went online, said, hey, we're looking for director cards, executive producer cards, producer cards, editor cards. That's right. And we got just some unbelievable builds sent to us. And so every credit that you see at the end of the movie came from fans uh, that sort of put their own interpretation of what an executive producer was. Wow. And in that case, it was a guy sleeping with a pile of money and falling off his chair when the phone rang. Hmm. So in, in many ways, it seems the LEGO community was supportive of this film. Did any of that make it hard to kind of get closer to the story the way that you wanted to shape it? I mean, were there purists out there who were it's worried? Just it makes the film more daunting when you're dealing with a beloved subject and you know that there's such diehard fans. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's a little, it's, it's different than doing an expose where maybe certain people are expecting the dirt, here you've got to uphold a certain, you know, because we're talking about diehard, diehard fans that we're, we're representing this brand to as well. And so how, did, how did they feel about being on camera? I mean... Well, that's, that's easy. The easy part is getting them on camera. But, I, but to follow up on that, I think the hardest thing was we wanted to make a film that would not only make the diehards happy, but families. You know, we constructed this as a film that a 10-year-old could go see with the dad and the grandma, and is there going to be something for everyone in here? And are we going to make the AFOLs happy? And will Lego actually like it? Um, and luckily, I mean, we'll really know in the next. The good news is we did it all, we'll and you know everyone's happy. Seems like it. <laughs> we'll find out on Friday. Yeah, we'll find out Friday. Did, did Lego try to see the movie as it was coming together, or did you they do? Yeah. So Lego. Um, Part of our deal with getting access with them, they did um, get us to see a cut and give us criticism, and they were completely supportive. The only small commentary they had is on certain bits of language in the film, because as a corporate entity, they're very concerned about how their brand, how, how the language of their brand is represented. But other than some specifics on verbiage, um, you know, there was there was no editorial input other than that. So, I mean, you, this is really an accurate portrait of. Lego in the world as opposed to how Lego wants to see itself? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think that they're, they're a very introspective company in many ways. I think maybe that comes from the Danish background, but I think that they're, I think they're pretty forthright about mistakes they, they've made, and in fact, we explore that in the film, and that I'm, they didn't give us any pushback at all on that. Yeah, look, when you have an executive, you know, at Lego, saying that when they were failing and they almost went into bankruptcy that they were a very arrogant company at the time you know for us that was a striking thing to say you know um so we didn't feel like they were sort of towing that corporate line with us they gave us the respect and look i mean a big part of it is that they knew that they were working with competent filmmakers and if anyone could pull it off ideally it would be us but i, I do think it was a pretty brave bold leap to give creative control to two filmmakers that are going to represent ultimately, you know, the number two toy company in the world. Right. I, I think it's unprecedented actually, and definitely a bold move. 
So why don't we take a look at another clip? We can dig deeper in a second. Another coveted job at the Lego company is that of master builder. Like the designers, master builders are, well, masters at building with Lego bricks. But they get to think outside the box. So as a master builder, we get to do everything it takes to make our models. We design models. We do a pretty good mixture. We do everything from little tiny models all the way up to human beings. It's always going to be different. Every model poses its own challenge. Sometimes it's just the sheer size of the models. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's really just pushing the bounds of what you can do with LEGO, being creative and being artistic and all these amazing things. So how do you describe the master builder? I mean, it, you watch this guy talk and you're trying to figure out, is he an engineer, is he an artist? I mean, what is that job, really? Well, these are guys that have every dream they've ever had in the palm of their hands. There's, there's a quote that comes up about 30 seconds after that. One master builder says, well, I'm making this set and I had everything I could ever possibly want or need. Uh, and, and he was like, he's a kid in a candy store. But these are people that, you know, some of them have probably come from the AFOL community. Um, they're extremely talented. I mean, we had filmed them making the set for the Lego movie. And it's a very small part of our film because the Lego animated movie was being made at the same time as ours. It takes, takes a while to make these films. So it probably bears mentioning that the sort of the apex of the Master Builder story in our film is them building the the world's largest Lego construction ever, which is a life-size X-Wing. Uh, and um, it, it bears mentioning that we shot, that of course they did the big reveal of the X-Wing in Times Square. And one of, our, one of our DPs is that guy right there, Andy Shockin, who's hopefully got us in focus as we speak. Um, just goes to show how small the community is. And, and Andy and I have collaborated on a couple of films and here he is shooting us. What's it like to see these things come together after days and days? I mean, did you think that X-Wing was going to look the way that they said it was going to look? Well, in some ways, it's probably akin to the filmmaking process, that you get it, you've kind of, you've, from the outset, you know what it's going to look like, but when you're right in the middle of it, you, it's pretty hairy, and you don't know that you'll ever reach the end of the, the road. And then you don't, it's not really complete until you reveal it to the audience and you show something like this. I'm sure that the reveal of that X-Wing is something of what it was like to finally premiere this film and now get our, our release this Friday in theaters and on demand. It's, it's, I, I think it's something, it, sometimes the, pay, the process can be so arduous that you don't really get to step back and look at it until you're at the end. Well, I can only imagine visually how you're trying to represent these things because you have this guy with all these tiny little pieces that he's talking about. I mean, when do you decide to go in for the close-up to explain exactly, you know, how all this stuff literally fits together? Yeah. Well, X-Wing was a... I mean, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie because we tell that scene in parallel with the X-Wing being constructed in the Czech Republic. It comes to New York, Times Square, and it's revealed. And at the same time, we tell the story of an autistic boy that uses Lego and it's Lego is helping him to concentrate. It's the one thing that keeps him grounded and in his seat. And this is all revealed, ultimately, the big reveal um, of the X-Wing through his eyes, which made it personal. Yeah. And, you know, it's more, so for us, it was more about the spectacle as huge and grand as it was. 
you know, we tried to take um, a more personal approach to it. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a film about big and small. And you talk about, like, when do you go in for the close-up? I mean, we, it's a film that exists, you know, focally. There's a lot of macro in this film, or there's a lot of micro, but there's a lot of macro, too, and stepping back. And so in terms of how the storytelling process, it's that way as well, that we've got sort of this big global story of this huge company, this huge brand. But within that, we're trying to find intimate little ways of expressing that. Right. It's about the culture as much as the business. And, and the, the people. And the people. So let's look at the third clip that we have. One more example. My definition of adults that play with Legos are just tall kids. <laughs> I like to build, but I'm not the best builder. Do you want to know who the best builder is? My mom. I'm finishing up just the last few of the birch trees here behind the library. And uh, it's in the middle of Rivendell. And we're really excited about finishing it, but we're also a little bit surprised at how big it turned out to be. You never quite know when you're working on one section at a time until you put it all together. I just started building again a couple years ago when my son was getting interested in building. Let's make it only two Technic segments long. Why? Because we don't want it to be too wide because oh. it's up next to rocks. I went from doing laundry one day to having over two and a half million hits on my Flickr pages. And it was pretty overwhelming. For two years in a row, Alice's work has received the coveted People's Choice Award from convention goers. This year, she's built an enormous model of Rivendell, the mythic city from the Lord of the Rings. I think people are going to like it. I don't think that there's anything quite like it. One of my favorite things to do at a convention is to encourage the girls to build. Lego has historically really been focused on boys, and they have admitted that they have only been addressing half the population. They are now taking it seriously because I think there's a tremendous world of possibility that has been untapped so far. There are lots of girls who come up and says, thank you for being a role model. So how did you find Alice Finch? How did we not find yeah. Alice Finch? We found her I mean, at a convention, actually. I mean, we've been hearing about her for a while. You know, the more people you talk to, the more you hear the same names come up. So I was at BrickCon for one of the conventions in Seattle and sought her out. And she was ultimately pretty easy to find because she had the biggest display. Uh, amazing, amazing work. But what struck me is that in between showing off her work, she was just talking to every young girl she could find and really uh, was tapping into uh, this whole new market for Lego, which has been overlooked for so long, which is uh, targeting girls and women. And she's been a real inspiration. And for us to come across a character like her that not only is probably one of the best builders we came across, but really just doing amazing work to inspire other girls to do the same uh, was powerful for us. I mean, the, the truth is she would have been in the film regardless by virtue of her yeah. builds quality, which is great. But then, you know, Keith and I come from a background of issue filmmaking. And, you know, this is not a, f this is not a film where we're necessarily looking for, for 
issues, or at least you know we're not we're not trying to be confrontational. But if there you know if there's a if, uh, people have talked about the gender gap within Lego, and we knew that was something we had to discuss, and we wanted to do that in a positive way by highlighting this builder who was an exception to the norm in terms of her gender, but it was doing amazing work. Right. And were there a lot of stories like this? I mean, how many people many. did you speak to and did some not make the cut? I mean, <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, that's the hardest thing is when you're following a huge storyline. You know, I mean, for me, one of the most difficult things was having to cut a segment that we had about first Lego League, which were basically Mindstorms mind robotic competitions that they have across the states. I mean, thousands of uh, groups compete. And we had a huge story about this group of kids that was ultimately going to compete at Legoland. And uh, we had to cut it because the story ultimately was too big for the film. We're covering a lot of ground and it would have structurally made the film a bit off. And it's very hard in that particular case to tell these kids, hey, sorry, you didn't make the cut. But luckily, um, we'll work them into the behind the scenes, well, the, the DVD extras right. and the iTunes extras. So I haven't shared that news with them yet, but we'll, we'll write them tonight. In some ways, you just did. We're just, yeah, yeah. we're just immortalized. I guess we that. just did. It, watching that story, it's hard not to think about the Lego movie because of the, the way in which that movie conveys, certainly in the way things sort of work out in the, the story of that film, kind of the, the, the generational element of Legos, that parents get into it as much as yeah. the kids. And you have Jason Bateman narrating this thing, so clearly there is a relationship between that movie and this one, but tell us a little bit more about that, because that movie wasn't out yet when you were making sure. it. Sure. Well, it's a comparison we're not running away from. We would love to see the kind of success that that film had, but I think the two films... Um, first of all, they were in, being made at the same time, and the, we obviously are both tangentially connected to the Lego company and the Lego. We're dealing with the same execs there. But I also think that they just, they're dealing with the same ethos, which is, you know, expressing your creativity is that, that, that the trump card is always creativity, and the way that you, the, the way that you um, express yourself and the way that you can work your work your way out of dilemmas is creativity and I think that's expressed in both films and also the diehard sometimes even too diehard nature of the AFL community I think is, is is expressed in both films as well and and done in a loving way so I do think that the films have similarity in that regard and of course we profile the making of that film in our film so we, we love that comparison yeah, I think another similarity too is, I mean, when you look at the Lego animated movie, it's, it appeals to adults and children for very different reasons. Adults laugh at some of the inside more adult jokes. And I think the same could be applied to here. And it was one of the more difficult things in making this film, again, is like, how do you make a 10-year-old happy, but that also make a 40-year-old happy? And I think people get different things out of it. Like, watching the film with a group of kids, they all love the animation but the adults may be more honed in to the scientific side and the engineering side. So before we open it up to an audience Q&A, one thing that we haven't really addressed is, you know, what we're dealing with is, is very much part of the analog age. I mean, it came out of the 20th century many generations ago, and these days I see a lot of really young kids playing on iPads and so forth. So what do you make sort of of where Lego is at now in terms of how our culture is developing, how people use these, these objects, given the fact that we're moving further and further away from physical media. Well, first of all, I think people from Lego would 
say that Lego isn't analog, it's digital, it's in, out, in, out, that it's a binary system uh, at its base. But uh, in, in, in essence, we're talking about it is the equivalent of open source programming. And I think it is in some ways connected to the maker movement now where it's definitely in our atmosphere, the zeitgeist is if you, if you build it yourself, it has more value that you can do it yourself. And, and I think Lego is certainly part of that open source world. And I think it took them a while to figure that out, which we profile in the film, that, they, that um, they're essentially dealing with a, 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 what we call systematic creativity and people expressing themselves within a closed system. And I think also, you know, I think you look at probably the most popular online game in that world, which is Minecraft, you know. That's a game that, you know, Lego fans have come from and have now taken what they've learned in their own free building and put it into that. I know for my own child, it was really after him exploring the Lego universe and free building that ultimately he started to enjoy and have the confidence to build more architectural type builds within within the Minecraft world. So there is interconnectivity. I, I know that Lego is also working on next gen thing through Future Lab. You know, there's no question that the company is evolving and will have to evolve. You know, one of the things that was difficult, I think, for the company when they were almost bankrupt was there was a lot of competition from video games. You know, the same could be said now. There's so many different uh, uh, worlds out there that can distract from uh, a child's time to just free build. So I think I think they're definitely working on ways they have come up with products to uh, embrace uh, the digital online world. You might need a sequel at some point. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so let's take some questions from the audience. Well, the movie is really a, looks like a really a fascinating exploration. So for you guys who are filmmakers, and that takes a certain degree of construction, you mentioned it a little bit, but I wanted, did you find some parallels to the process of building Legos and the act of building a film and discuss that at any point? And also, you know, when you do issue-oriented films, a lot of times the big question is, are you more of an activist? Are you more of a, um, are you more of the documentarian who will then step away and not be engaged? Or do you continue to be engaged? And, this is a kind of different kind of uh, world you're engaged in. Do you see yourself, because of the kids' connection and all, continuing to be engaged to the community at all, or will you will that sort of slip into the background and you'll be on to the next issue? All right. Well, there's a couple of questions in there. Um, I, you know, I think the most overwhelming part is when you first start any project, and you could definitely make a cheesy parallel to like someone dumping a massive room full of bricks in front of you and, and how you can actually create a narrative out of this. So it very much is a puzzle that you're working through that ultimately you start honing in on. And it's very similar in when you're free building as well. You may start out with one idea and then by the time you're done, you know, your little house that you were build, building turns into, you know, a space station. And there's, there's a little bit of that. Uh, I, I think as far as like the activism part in filmmaking, I mean, this, this is uh, by no means an activism film at all. I mean, the, the intent of this film is, it's really a fun movie and it's supposed to be an exploration and tune the audience into things about Lego that they may not have known about or, or understood. Um, first and foremost, it's a film that's meant for people to enjoy. And I think, I, I don't know if I could speak for you as well, but I mean, at least for me, um, 
kind of once I'm done with a film, you kind of move on to the next one. It's such a draining process that you detach and move on. Just like with both of us that had done very serious films beforehand, we embraced the idea of doing uh, a much more lighthearted film. How are you doing, guys? So my question is, uh, what was the inspiration behind the Lego documentary, and also how long did it take uh, to actually make the documentary itself? About 45 years did it take? It's, uh, the truth is that this one, in terms of uh, gestation period of most of our docs, was relatively short. I think from the day uh, that I started shooting till we delivered was probably less than two years, which was, is in really, in terms of documentaries, is on the shorter end. Um, and again, the whole, the whole film came about by virtue of, of uh, somebody a asking us to do a film on a specific Lego convention, or asking me, and that was interesting, but we expanded that idea from there, and, and doing something on the whole community was more interesting, and ultimately Lego, Lego asking Lego to come on board, and then we knew we had a holistic uh, kind of uh, approach to the whole film, and that's when Keith came on board and, and we were off and running. Yeah, it's I, mean, worth I think it was pretty out. much 90% of the film was probably shot in a very short period, I'd say between like April and November. Um, was the point I, the, at the point I came on, you know, there's probably 10%, which was a great part, point for me to jump aboard is just sort of hit the ground running. Uh, but, you know, actually probably too short of a time period. You know, you always want more time, and, but sometimes you do need a limitation of like, hey, this is when you have to deliver, you know, whether you like it or not. Uh, otherwise, you'll just never get it done. And it's worth pointing out also that you, you guys stay really busy. I mean, Daniel, you have another movie opening next month. So how did this slot in with the other things you were doing at the same time? Uh, with great difficulty, actually. Um, yeah, Keith and I are usually juggling several projects at once, which is, I think is, it's difficult. It makes your life chaotic. But I also think that it's, it's, I find that it's better than getting really precious about one film. I mean, certainly we've done that process before as well, and I don't disparage filmmakers to do that, but sometimes working on one film and dumping your life into it, you can get a little too precious. And so if anything, especially a film like this that's so disparate and widespread and crazy and shot around the world, in some ways it was good to be balancing that with other films and to do it with a big team. You know, not only was it Keith and I as co-directors, but we had people shooting for us in some cases where we weren't even there. We'd, you know, I, I can at least one scene, Andy here, shot for us and shot really really well and neither of us could be there. So I think with a film like this, it maybe helped to not be so precious and, and actually be spreading ourselves thinner and the collaboration certainly helped. Right, plus you had the whole community backing you. Hi, um, so one of my favorite parts of the clips that you showed tonight was just kind of the brilliance behind the creations that um, Alec, or, um, Alice Finch was kind of putting together and the imagination behind it all. Um, being able to kind of get behind the scenes and see the master builders as you two created this, what were some of your favorite and I guess most awe-inspiring creations that you were able to see because some of the things that they put together are just mind-blowingly brilliant. Um, <clears throat> there, was, there was another uh, team of builders called uh, Brolug, I guess. Uh, they built this another DVD extra. Another DVD film. extra. Actually, the two DVD extras are the ones that were 
uh, talk about the most. Uh, but they built this uh, massive cyberpunk city, which was just beyond anything that we've seen. In, in some ways, I mean, we've gone back and forth as to whether we like Alice's better than, than the Grola guys. Um, but uh, incredible stuff. But again, that was also another story that was just sort of too big for it. Uh, I'd say one of my favorite scenes in the film that they're not master builders, but it is the Lego designers where it was what we tried to explore at a certain point is are the fans that are out there as good as the Lego designers in free building and yeah. free thinking. So we pit uh, one against another. So we had the designers in Billund, Denmark build the same creations during a timed uh, you know, period of time against the Seattle builders. And the Seattle builders just blew them away, you know. Um, and, you know, and for the Lego designers, not to take it away from them, it's not what they do now. They don't free build like they used to. You know, they, they're given a very specific task within the world, you know, that they're supposed to create. If they're working on a new IP, you know, it's all about that. So they were given a new challenge that was uh, very difficult for them. It was, it was a lot of fun though to see, to see what everyone, what, I, what ideas they came up with. Um, I just wanna know what was the most challenging and joyful part of making this film? Challenging or joyful? Both. <laughs> <laughs> joyful is probably the release, Because right? <laughs> it's never um, easy when you're making a film. Um, I don't know, probably the most joyful for me was seeing the passion from the people that are actually participating in these conventions. You know, these conventions like BrickCon and BrickWorld, they're built up over a whole year. And what was surprising for me was that I didn't quite realize that people come together as collaborators on, on these projects. I always looked at Lego as being a very solitary sort of thing that you do on your own, but it was not uncommon to have people in you know, four different people in four different states all building a section of a roller coaster or a section of something else and ultimately coming together. And for them, it was, it was putting on a show and it was, there was great pride in, in the work they were doing. And, you know, there, it was infectious to see just how happy they were to, to display uh, just unbelievable artistic endeavors. I agree. I agree, and, and also from a filmmaker's perspective, those conventions, anytime you can just like point your camera anywhere and get money, that's, it's great. But in terms of challenge, the challenges, I think Keith would agree that this film was hardest because we're, we're used to kind of linear narratives and telling, we're usually doing story-based films. And this film, if you liken it to writing, was less of a novel and more of a collection of short stories. And so, which is all fine and well, but people don't go to the movies to watch a collection of short stories. They need, you need some kind of linear, you, kind of, you need some cohesive narrative. And so I think finding, finding the way of watching something that feels holistic from beginning to end was really the biggest challenge for us as filmmakers. I mean, one question that I would have throw out there is how much uh, feedback have you guys gotten so far from the people we see in the movie? Mm, it's been great. Very, it's been great. It's been very little, though. We've, the, um, the, the film's being released by, by Radius, uh, and um, 
I think to their credit, we haven't shown it many, many places until it opens this Friday. So I think we're anxiously waiting kind of the, the audience's uh, feedback. But I think for the few audiences we have shown it to, I think what's been most pleasurable for us is people come up and say, oh, I just need to get my hand on some bricks. I, I, haven't, I haven't played since I was a kid, and now I need to play. That's a compliment of the highest order. And has that complicated your own relationship to Legos? I mean, are you guys trying to do some It's complicated my checkbook, my yeah, pocket definitely the checkbook. <laughs> no, I mean, look, it's definitely been a bonding experience for me and my son. You know, I feel like the making of this film uh, was the key sort of moment where he understood what I do for a living. Because it was just kind of like, well, yeah, I know he does something with what, cameras. What do you do for a living? I don't really know. But, you know, I brought him to one of the shoots that was in Los Angeles where I'm based. Nathan Sawai was building this huge sculpture. And to see, first of all, the look on my kid's face where he walked into a place with probably five million Lego bricks in one studio was uh, pretty hilarious to see. But later on that night, I showed him footage. So he started to make the connection. Oh, that's what you do. Um, and it just inspired me to build with him and tap into that creative side that you tend to lose as an adult, which by the way, uh, AFOLs, the adult fans of Lego, refer to that as the dark ages. When you leave Lego behind, and then you come back to it as an adult. So in some ways, you're fighting the dark ages with this movie to bring, bring people back to it. Definitely fighting the dark ages. Yeah. Yeah. Be another good DVD extra with your son there. So the movie opens this Friday, and it's on iTunes, it's going to be in theaters, it's going to be in a bunch of other digital platforms, and you want people to go see it, right? We do. We do. We're very anxious to see what the community thinks about it. Thanks for being here. Thanks for sticking around. Thank, Thank you. you all.